0: Welcome back to Steph's Business Bookshelf and this week's episode about the book The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. Keep listening to find out how you can build, fix or foster a better culture in your organization, team, family or any group that you bring together. You're listening to Steph's Business Bookshelf, doing the reading so you don't have to. Welcome back, and firstly, thank you to those of you who have left a little review or rated the show on the iTunes or on the Apple Podcast app. It really does help other people find the podcast, so if you haven't already and if you're enjoying the podcast, if you're a regular listener, hello, thank you for listening. If you could just open up the app, do it now while you're listening, unless you're driving, don't do it if you're driving, and drop a little review or at least a little rating into the podcast app, that would be awesome. Thank you so much, I appreciate it. I'm also doing a little spruce up of the podcast as we're six months in almost into the podcasting journey for Steph's Business Bookshelf so any feedback either you want to drop to me individually show notes contain all my contact details or that you can use in a review I'd love to hear from you it means I can just make things even better for your listening pleasure. Now this week's book is very exciting partly because for selfish reasons this is the kind of work I do. The work I do is around culture change. I work with teams to help them have more meaningful conversations and help them to connect better and to build better cultures and systems of culture in their organisations or in their teams. So naturally, a book called The Culture Code would be quite appealing and exciting for me because the way humans and how we react and act in groups and how we get work done really does fascinate me. I'll talk obviously about the book as we go through the episode but I just found it incredibly practical and again I know I've said that for a number of books but it really is something I I hold to high importance about a non-fiction book. Before we get into the big ideas I took from the book let's learn a little bit more about the author and the book itself. Daniel Coyle is the New York Times best-selling author of The Talent Code, Little Book of Talent, The Secret Race co-authored with Tyler Hamilton, Hardball, A Season in Projects and other books including The Culture Code. Winner with Tyler Hamilton of the 2012 William Hill Book of the Year Prize, he is a contributing editor for Outside Magazine and works as a special advisor to the Cleveland Indians. Coyle lives in Cleveland, Ohio during the school year and in Homer, Alaska during the summer with his wife, Jen, and their four children. And that was taken from Daniel's website, danielcoyle.com. The link is in the show notes. A little bit about the book. Where does great culture come from? How do you build it and sustain it in your group or strengthen a culture that needs fixing? In The Culture Code, Daniel Coyle goes into some of the world's most successful organizations, including Pixar, the San Antonio Spurs, the US Navy's SEAL Team 6, and reveals what really makes them tick. He demystifies the culture-building process by identifying three key skills that create cohesion and cooperation, and explains how diverse groups learn to function with a single mind. COIL also unearths helpful stories of failure that illustrate what not to do, troubleshoots common pitfalls and shares advice about reforming a toxic culture. Combining leading-edge science, on-the-ground insights from world-class leaders and practical ideas for action, The Culture Code offers a roadmap for creating an environment where innovation flourishes, problems get solved and expectations are exceeded. Culture is not something you are, it's something you do and The Culture Code puts the power in your hands. Again, taken from Daniel's website, link is in the show notes. By the way I feel like I'm sounding very dulcet this morning and particularly husky. Last night I was in Perth for the last couple of days and last night my flight was very delayed and got back at 2am so I'm feeling a little bit worse for wear this morning on this Wednesday cold Wednesday morning in Melbourne so you'll have to excuse and if you like the new voice then let me know and I'll try and take more horrible flights that get delayed. Before we go into the three big ideas, there was one really overarching idea that I took from this book. And it was one that's been mulling on my mind anyway, from conversations I have with business leaders who have really successful cultures, from those who don't, from working with some of my clients who are trying to build cultures, and seeing where the differences lie. The one big thing that everyone does who has a strong, successful culture is they obsess about it. This is not something that happens by accident. It is something that is premeditated, that is in everything people do, that is more than just posters on walls or things and stickers around the office. This is something that is obsessed about. It is measured. It matters. It is something that runs through everyone. And it is the litmus test for decisions, which is the even bigger thing. It is how people are hired and fired. It is how people are measured, recognized, rewarded, And I think a lot of the time that's where things fall down with different organizations and teams, that it is not paid lip, well sometimes it is paid lip service too, but things like culture are not actually taken as seriously as they could be because it's almost seen as a bit of a side thing or something that can coexist along the real way of working, which is fighting fires and measuring revenue and all of these other things that don't always contribute to a successful, meaningful culture that was my biggest one big idea that I took from The Culture Code, which is culture is an obsession. But let's go into the three big ideas I took from The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. Number one is the importance of safety, even in wartime. The key here, and you will have heard probably if you've listened to this podcast or if you're into this kind of thing, you will have heard a lot about psychological safety. It's probably popularized a bit more by Amy Edmondson, who did a lot of work with Google. But the key to this is belonging. It's finding those little similarities as humans. One of the most extreme examples in the book is the Christmas day truce that happened during World War I between the British or the Allied troops and the German troops. In one of the most awful wars that's happened in modern history, the troops stopped fighting. They stopped fighting, they came out of the trenches and they celebrated Christmas together. There was famously a football match as well. They sang songs, they ate and they just connected. Which is incredible, but it wasn't, it didn't just happen again by accident, it happened through small actions that happened for the weeks before, had mini ceasefires. So when the soldiers on both sides were collecting their, their dead soldiers to bury them, the other side stopped shooting. Again when food supplies arrived, the soldiers who had to go and collect those supplies were quite, could be quite exposed. But again, the other soldiers didn't shoot them or didn't use that vulnerability to their advantage. They let them go and get their food supplies. There were a few things at quite a human level seemed off limits. And sometimes at nighttime, you'd have the troops singing to each other across in their different languages and different cultures, singing across the trenches, and you'd hear them at night when they're eating and, and recovering from the day as the night fell. Now, obviously, this is quite an extreme example and, and quite full on. But it does make you think, if this is possible, if it was possible for troops who were literally minutes or hours before shooting at each other and trying to literally kill each other, and they found a point of connection with each other, a point to stop the the fighting, and particularly at that Christmas point, a really shared experience, it's probably possible for you to find a point of connection with Karen in accounts, who really does your head in. Another example, which is slightly maybe more applicable to your office hopefully which hopefully isn't a war zone is the call center for Wipro this was their call center in India and they found that in the call center environment attrition was very very high so they were churning through people what they tried and they did a bit of an experiment they had three different groups go through the induction group one just went through the standard induction they were just the control group group two went through the induction with an additional hour added on where they found out more about the company, the company's values. They spoke to some star performers and the people from from the company came to speak to them about the company and what it stands for and its goals and vision, etc. The third group did the normal induction, again, plus an extra hour. But this extra hour was focused on the new hires. So they were focused on the new hires, uh, their strengths, what they were going to bring, their contribution, their potential to add to the Wipro experience. Now, both of those two groups who had the extra hour got a Wipro fleece at the end of their induction. The first group who had the session about the the business had a Wipro fleece just with the Wipro brand on it. The second group who had the extra hour of induction around themselves and who they are and their contribution had a Wipro fleece with the branding on, but also with their own name on it. Now when they did this activity or they, they did this experiment, they didn't really expect a big difference. What they found those seven months later was the group who had the extra hour and the Wipro fleece with their own name on it were 250% more likely to still be there. That was just seven months later than the group who had the extra hour that was all about the company and 157% more than the control group. So that was pretty phenomenal. And it was those tiny singles of belonging. Again, it's the belonging, it's the fleece that you're wearing with your company name, then your name associated to it. Funnily enough, when I was in Perth over the last couple of days, for those of you who don't know, Perth has a big mining population. A lot of the mining industry is is based out of Perth or the surrounding areas in, in WA. And yesterday, walking through the airport, there was a huge group of one of the big mining companies, employees, all in their high-vis outfits, walking towards me, they'd all just got off a flight. And I had this real sense of FOMO that they all had this like, matching outfit and I didn't. I wasn't I wasn't one of them. I didn't belong. It was really interesting. I don't really have an interest in working in the mining industry, but just that quite human visceral almost reaction that you get when you see people belonging to a group and you're not in there. You're on your own. You're, you're on the outside. So that's big idea number one, safety even in wartime and the importance of belonging. Big idea number two is vulnerability. Again, yes, I know talked about vulnerability a lot in some of the books that I've talked about so far. I know you've heard about it in a lot of the other modern leadership talks and books at the moment, but it's important. There's a reason that this is in the culture code. But a couple of the examples shared, which I quite liked were things like sharing your screw ups. So as the leader, as the person that people are looking up to in the team generally, being able to share where things went wrong and what you would have done differently is incredibly powerful. Equally inviting feedback. And again, this is about candor, not brutal honesty. And I think there is a danger with some of the more recent moves towards better feedback, etc., is there is a probably a bit of a danger of people applying that in a little bit of the wrong way and actually going brutal honesty and saying, oh well I'm giving honest feedback versus being candid with their feedback. There is a subtle difference, and a lot of it is through tact. For both of those, so for sharing your screw-ups and inviting feedback, things and processes like after-action reviews or before-action reviews and having those as standard issue processes that happen and systems that happen as you're taking on, as you're finishing projects, as you're taking on new projects, is incredibly important to then normalise those conversations, to normalise people sharing what worked, what didn't work, their contribution to that, your contribution to that as the leader and sharing feedback and getting better as a result. One of the definitions of vulnerability that I really like and use quite a lot is the ability to be vulnerable without fear of repercussion. So that can be someone saying, I think we really messed up on this job. I think we took the wrong approach or I think we had the wrong people or the right people at the wrong time or being able to share that quite honestly without the fear of being reprimanded, sacked, demoted, kicked off the team or anything like that as a result of their honest feedback again done in a constructive and candid way not an unconstructive toxic way one of the ideas i did like about vulnerability in the in this book that i hadn't seen elsewhere was around letting the team run itself sometimes so there was an example in the book from greg popovich who is the san antonio spurs coach And sometimes at halftime or when the players go back to the locker room or they huddle around in the mid play, he won't turn up. He will let them self-organise and he'll step back and let them lead themselves rather than him always being there for them. Now, obviously, when he is really needed, he will be there. But letting them lead themselves and run themselves is a very healthy thing for a leader to do. But again, can feel quite vulnerable because you lose a bit of control. So that's big idea number two, which is vulnerability again. Big idea number three, maybe my favorite one, but maybe that's because I'm doing a lot of work with teams on this at the moment, is the purpose of purpose. And the purpose of purpose is to help people belong. So it links nicely to big idea number one. It also helps people connect with why they are there. What is the work they're doing? What is the reason they exist? He shares that you need to be more clear about your purpose, about 10 times more than you think you already are need to be clearer talk about it all the time get obsessed this is how you measure what is happening this is how you test what is happening you test the purpose he talks about using catchphrases and artifacts as visual reminders whilst that might sound a little bit cheesy or naff it's it's just important because people need to see signs and signals of what they belong to the purpose as they are working so in the navy seals this is things like having the uniforms or the tags or some kind of artifact from fallen soldiers around their bases and offices as a visual reminder of what they're there to do and the risks and the the sacrifice that is required as i mentioned this is also how you measure what matters so by being really clear on your purpose really really clear on your purpose and what the few things are that signal how the purpose is coming to life you can then start to measure that. You can measure the behaviours rather than necessarily the outcomes. A lot of our measurement of reward and recognition is faced based on outcomes rather than behaviours. That's often where we fall down. It also helps you create systems to support and usually these are spurred by a bad incident. So for example, the Navy Seals and also Pixar have really strong purpose-driven systems and processes now around the way they work and in Pixar's case, the way they create and how they create together and how they are better off creating together given a couple of disasters. So it's about, again, learning from those mistakes to make things better and create the systems to support your purpose, your culture, and and what you stand for. And also what makes you successful. So that was big idea number three, the purpose of purpose. So those are the three big ideas I took from the book, The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. Those again, number one, safety, even in wartime, or the importance of belonging. Number two, vulnerability, again. And number three, the purpose of purpose. As I mentioned earlier, I really did enjoy this book. I thought it was really up to date in terms of some of the examples from leading cutting-edge businesses and what's worked, what hasn't worked. And there's a couple of really good disaster stories in here as well, which, although there'll be different industries to you, you will definitely see those links and those trends happening in your own organization or other organizations you've maybe worked in. As I said earlier, it's also very practical with some good tips on how to apply the lessons from the book. Even though you might not be as big as Pixar or in as life or death situation as surgical teams or the Navy SEALs, etc. There is something in there to learn for, for every industry and every team going, big or small. If you do want to read the book yourself, I obviously recommend it. For my Australian friends, there is a link to my book depository affiliate sites in the show notes, which you can buy the book directly from. If you do read the book, I would love to hear from you. Let me know what you think. If you've already read the book as well, let me know what your takeaways were. Did you take anything back to your own teams? Because that's really where the rubber hits the road is not just learning these things and listening to books or reading books, but actually doing something with your new information, your new insights. So let me know. I'd love to hear from you as usual contact details are all in the show notes and otherwise until next time happy reading